Welcome to Ask Dr. Julie Hanks, a safe place for healing conversations that educate and empower you to prioritize your dreams, revolutionize your family, and personalize your faith. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Hanks, a psychotherapist and coach offering online courses and programs to help women all over the world heal themselves and their relationships. Join me here every week as I coach a listener through a specific challenge and empower them with tools to find healing. Hello, friends. Good morning. Welcome to Instagram Live on Healing Aspirational Shame. And I will soon be joined by my guest, Courtney Brown, who is CEO of Sense of Style and Be Fulfilled. And she is a rock star. Uh, I'm excited to introduce you to her and hear more about her story. Courtney, hi. Hi, Dr. Hanks. How are you? I'm great. Good to see you. It's nice to see you too. <laughs> well, I was uh, introducing you before you hopped on, but I'll do it again while you're, while you're here. So this is Courtney Brown. She is CEO of Be Fulfilled and of Sense of Style, uh, both companies that I've worked with and have had great experiences with. So welcome. Welcome to this Instagram Live, Courtney. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. What an honor to be talking with you, one of my heroes and mentors. So, <laughs> oh, thank you. So let's let's define aspirational shame before we jump in and talk about this. So, aspirational shame is shame about having aspirations outside of home and family. And when I asked you if you had experienced this, you said a big resounding yes. So tell us more about your experience with aspirational shame. Yeah, so um, I know you can relate to this, Dr. Hanks, and I'm sure if those who are joining us can, give us hearts, let's, let's hear about it, right? But for me, yeah. um, since I was a little girl, I knew that there, there were two sides of me, right? There was the side that was told that my one and only path in life was to become a wife and mother, um, and I wanted that. I wanted it and it, it was a piece of me. And I also knew there was another piece of me that had um, impact to share, that I had creative vision to share and something outside of home and motherhood. And for me, I grew up in Boise, Idaho, and um, I grew up. So when I like to describe my hometown, I say that a conservative Salt Lake City and hippie Portland, Oregon, were to have a baby. That's my hometown <laughs> of Boise, Idaho. So it was almost within the fabric of where I grew up because you got very much the conservative Mormon women who what they did was home and family. Mm -hmm. um, and then you had professional women and I saw both. Mm -hmm. um, and then to add to that, where continued contradiction came um, my father was a prominent attorney who basically never traveled or lived outside the state of Idaho. And my mother was a bohemian artist. And really, yeah, I mean, she won't call herself that Alice. I hope you're on and watching, but she is, you know, nannied and hitchhiked through Europe, took a break from BYU, but she settled in, in her adult life into a very traditional role, six kids, you know, but she always had a side hustle, always something she was doing. But anyways, with that, I got very contradictory messaging 
because you would think that my mother would be the one that told me, go be whoever, you know, but my mother was the one that said, home and family life is your purpose. And my dad was the one that said, go and be whoever you want. Mm. And I got this very, so my hometown had it. I had it within me. I heard it from my parents and I really struggled for a long, long time. Um, and still do still do this idea of aspirational shame that I should be ashamed for following what I believe is the spark of divinity within me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I met my husband, my sophomore year of college, and I was not going to be that BYU girl. You know, for those that don't know, there's a BYU girl that goes and and gets her MRS degree. And I wasn't going to do that. My plans were to go to law school. But I met this man who I've been married to for almost 20 years, who is the best man I know. And I struggled because I said, but if I marry him, it's going to make me cry. It makes me emotional thinking about, will my aspirations die? Yeah. So I married him. I got on the fast track to home and family. Um, and, uh, we had a lot of infertility issues and I, we adopted our, our oldest when I was 23 years old and, uh, <laughs> couldn't rent a car, but adopted a child. I'll just let that sit with everybody. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. but then here I was into motherhood and I thought, and this is my company's origin story. I was like, Okay, so I did it. I'm on the path. I'm married. I have the baby. And then I was like, oh, it's still there. The aspiration's still there. I didn't, I didn't quell it. This didn't stop it. And that's where Sense of Style was born. Mm. From that place of desperately needing a creative outlet and me finding, to this point, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of women that feel the same. Mm. So um, tell us, tell us more about how sense of style, how that evolved from the, the need for creativity. So what happened next? What happened next was I, I had this idea. I mean, this is 07 sense of style is 15 years old. Mm. Um, and I had this, I've, I had this idea. I've always loved fashion. I was the 10 year old girl that used her money from her grandma to go buy a dress, right? Like, it's always been me. And I saw that my friends and family needed a trust, like they were always asking me and they wanted a trusted source to curate affordable fashion. And this is before Target had reinvented itself, really before mm. e-commerce was even a thing. And I said, you know, I can do that. So with no business plan and a little baby in tow, I was like, I can have this side hustle where I go into women's homes and set up boutiques and... You take that little idea 15 years later and, um, you know, we employ mostly moms. Mm. I never wanted to choose. And I don't think other women should have to either. And what this is going to be me grandstand a little, but what companies can do around this is we have to understand that it can't be a traditional model, right? Most of the mm -hmm. women that work in our warehouse are moms, but they work between nine and three, Right. We, we utilize this digital age to help us be able to do this, to yeah. be able to have a platform like you do, Dr. Hanks, and help women. And that's my passion because I was that woman. I was her. Yeah. Um, 
I still am hurt. Right. <laughs> Makes me cry. Now you're making me cry. Cause yeah, I can totally relate. And we have a similar mission, right. To empower women. And, and one of the things I say is I refuse to choose. I, I refuse the choice of career or family. Right. Absolutely. Like, that is I re- unacceptable. I reject the dichotomy. Right. Right. It's a false dichotomy. It's a false premise when you are told it's either or. Right. And so me too. I reject it. And I think yeah. our lives are living proof that you can. Right. Right. So talk to me a little bit more about wrestling with the shame. Like I shouldn't even have this desire, let alone fulfill the desire. Yeah. So I feel like I pushed that down in my early 20s a lot, right? Mm-hmm. I pushed it down because I thought if I got on the path that I was told the marriage, the babies, my life would be full enough that that um, shame would go away, that desire would go away. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I think I decided just to push through the shame. But, you know, it wasn't without um, questions and costs and mostly from other from family members and from people that didn't understand and that didn't quite frankly approve. Right. Um, my husband never, ever once got asked who was taking care of his, his children when <laughs> when um, they were on a business trip. <laughs> yeah. You know, like or never, never got told by. Uh, members of of his family that he was missing the best parts of his children's lives. But I've been told Mm. all of those things. Yeah. Um, I think at the end of the day, I, I've thought a lot about this and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Dr. Hanks, but we've all been given talents, desires, abilities, and I believe they're God given and they're within us. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think our why we're here is to develop those and to make them manifest from within us out into the world to bless the world. Right. Right. And if I had denied that spark, I would be denying the godliness within me, the divinity within me. And I genuinely believe that our desires, our wants, our talents are literally the path. And I'm, I'm crying here. I totally, I, amen, amen, and amen. And so when we honor those, right, we're not honoring, only honoring ourselves, but we're honoring what we've been given. And you can't tell me that people living in their light, living their, who they are, doesn't bless the world. That's literally, I believe, the thing that will change the world is if we all did that and held space as others did the same. Now, here's the thing. Not everybody is called to uh, be, you know, get a PhD, right? Like that's not everybody's calling. Not everybody's called to build a business. Some women are called to be home as mothers. That is what they feel lit up by. I It took me until I had been running Sense of Style for seven years for someone to say out loud, I will never just be a stay-at-home mom. And I had never in my life heard it before. And it was like balm to my soul to hear another woman say it out loud. So I'm going to say it. I will never just be a stay-at-home mom. 
Not that there's anything wrong with that. I think it's honorable and beautiful. And I have sisters and sister-in-laws that do it and are fulfilled by it. It did not fulfill me. And so I say it that bluntly so that other women who haven't heard it before know that it's okay. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Courtney. That's just, I'm sitting here tears streaming down my face as I think about you as an early 20-something and me as an early 20-something wrestling with this. Like I have this something, something in addition to home and family. But I feel shame, like something's wrong with me for having it. It just makes me so sad that, me that we had to feel that or that anyone feels that what they want is, makes them a bad person, you know? Right. And it's this thing that we need to stop. We need to stop the rhetoric of telling women and telling men, because this is the same. My, my right. husband was the lead parent in our home for a decade, right? And he would get the good for you for showing up to the Halloween party, you know, like, no, you're just being a good parent, right? We need to stop this rhetoric of either or for women, right? Like my, at Sense of Style, we say we want to empower women to lead bold and full lives. And when we use Mm. the word bold, I mean, self-defined. Do you know how bold it is to live in a world where you define your life for yourself? And when we say full, I mean, I mean, full, don't make me choose. Like, don't say that I can't have friendships and beautiful family relationships. And don't tell me that I can't have a fulfilling career. I reject the premise that I can't be a good mom and a kick-ass CEO. I reject it. Right. Right. And love it. I believe that Dr. Hanks, your work is so, in fact, um, I hope you post the article, um, Dr. Hanks wrote an article in 2015 about aspirational shame. And as I read it, it was literally, you put into words things that I had felt my entire life, but never heard anyone say out loud. Thank you. So I hope everyone can read it. And and I guess the thing that what helps me is when I hear that I'm not alone in it. Right? Yeah. And that's, that's the healing that I got from writing the article mm-hmm. is having hundreds, having thousands of women reach out and go, there's a name for that thing that I've been struggling with. There's a name for it. I'm like, we just, we just put a name to it now. You know, now we can talk about it, right? That so many women, especially who've grown up in conservative religious cultures where gender roles are very rigidly mm-hmm. defined, there's this whole group of us who just felt like something was something was wrong and it's just so it was so nice for me to know that I wasn't alone even though I cognitively knew that but just to have all of the messages and the response to that article and so thank you for that uh, for letting my work mean something to you Courtney because that's that's why I do what I do right I, I I'm trying to be the person I needed when I was 20 yeah, I could say you you can you can do this. You get to be in charge of your life. There are no limits. You get to define this. So someone's asking the article. I will post it when I post this. I'll post a link to the article uh, in my stories. So watch for that. It's called Healing Aspirational Shame, and you can just Google it and find the article too as well. So go ahead, Courtney. You were going to say something. 
No, I, I want to speak to this idea because I think you're going to have great suggestions. And I've had a lot of healing around this uh, and a lot of work around this. This idea of having and doing it all. It's a double-edged sword, right? And um, what I always say is you absolutely can have it all, but you can't probably have it all at once and not without help. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Like, how can we right. help women know they can have it all, but then not feel doubly shamed because there's literally only so much energy in the day. And if you expect to be um, building a business or going back to school and then also be expected to make sure every household chore is done and every, you know, like that, that is where that's a recipe for failure in my opinion and for a, maybe added on shame. So, right. More shame is what I'm yeah. feeling. Yeah. Yeah. More shame. Yes. I, I have never met a family who had enough support to do the work they were trying to do. And there's this myth that you know you should be able to do it all. No, you should have a partner who's actually a partner who's in charge of, of home and family as well. You know, if you have a partner, they need to step up. And there's no shame in hiring if you are in a position to do that, to afford extra help, to trade with someone else for childcare, to have your partner be in charge of childcare. We don't have to be responsible for home and family and for the career and looking a certain way and right help get get help enlist support and your kids they can support you. <laughs> Absolutely. That I think our children are one of the most underutilized resources of support, right? Yeah. I agree. I I remember when I was uh, working on my PhD, I still had young kids and, and it was like, oh, well, I'm locking the door and I'm working on my dissertation. And so you'll have to, you know, you'll have to get food for yourself and don't bother me unless someone's bleeding and dad is here and go to dad. You know, that was their way that they could support me is to not interrupt me when I had some work to do. And it told them what I'm doing is important but they could support me by not interrupting me because it was saying my work was important and I'm there for them most of the time. And they could be there for me by not interrupting me and by being self-sufficient, you know, participating, doing their chores, (laughs) whatever they do. Being an active participant in the family that's been created. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So how Courtney, have you, resolved or lessened or uh, managed the shame, the aspirational shame that you have struggled with? Well, I think kind of what we both spoke to, to begin with, I think the first step in that was understanding I wasn't alone in it, mm-hmm. that there were other women out there that, that felt this way, that, that really genuinely was very eye-opening to me. That that's the first is, is, like always is awareness, right? Like, yeah, you're not alone in this. There's many others that feel this way. Um, And then it's been, honestly, you say it in the article, but part of it's age. Part of it is age. (laughs) You just don't give a crap. Like, who cares what people think, right? (laughs) You know, I turned 40 this year and I genuinely woke up on my 40th birthday and I like, it was the weirdest phenomenon, the weirdest thing. I was like, 
oh, I feel great. <laughs> and, and I had decades of not feeling that way, right? So, mm-hmm. so, but then the other is a lot of personal work. Um, I, have you read any um, that these thoughts and these feelings are so much of it is just what you've been programmed and cultured into? It is not a capital T truth. Right. Right. And then it is, yeah. and then it is comparing how I feel and, and how I am living my life. Do I feel in alignment for me? Am I in alignment with my values? Am I in alignment with my truest self? And sometimes, quite frankly, even now, the answer to that question is no. Right. And then I know mm-hmm. I need to shift and adjust. But I, um, it's a weird thing. Um, and I think you can probably relate to this. Um, Dr. Hanks is like, I, well, I have two thoughts here, but being a mother has been my, it's my greatest teaching hands down by far. Yeah. Greatest teaching. I don't feel particularly good at it most days, but I think that that's just another limited belief I have. But I think of, just in the time I've been able to, you know, do this, I think of the additional lives I've been able to touch outside my home and family, right? And the premise that a woman's work is in only home and family means that, like, we are taking away her ability to perhaps touch and influence the world in other positive ways, right? And Mm -hmm. if I take this out from it and Everything in me wants to qualify and say, and I love my children, but I'm working very hard not to qualify my life. Of course, I love my children. Of course, you love your children. Like, because women aspire to other things in no way means they don't love their children. Can we stop qualifying that? But (laughs) even now in this moment, I'm trying to qualify it. But like, if you take that out, I think, um, you know, the scripture by the fruit ye shall know them, right? Like, look at the good, Dr. Hanks, you have done in this world. Mm-hmm. Every single thank time you. we're at events together, I see women come up and say, thank you. You've changed my life to you. Like, and we've been at several and I've witnessed it yeah. over and over. Thank you. That would not have happened. These women's lives have been changed because of the work you chose to do. And that's why I say, like, don't deny the world your gifts. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And don't think that you're then denying your family those gifts. You're already doing it quite literally. Yeah. Right. Thank you, Courtney. So that's in a roundabout way. It's like, well, how's your life look? How's it going? Right. Like, do you feel aligned? Are you answering that call from within? And if yeah. the answer is yes, for me, then God and I were good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in fact, Courtney, that is, so I've done some research since I wrote that article. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've done some research on aspirational shame with LDS women, women who identify as LDS, who may be active, less active, not active at all, left the church, but have that background. And the number one thing that women reported was feeling God's support. So feeling that personal confirmation that this is the path for me. That was the number one thing that reduced aspirational shame. And you know what floored me? The number two was Hmm. take a step back from religion and 
religious practice or leave the church. I was, it was either like go deeper into your personal relationship or back up from the institution. It was so fascinating. And I am not advocating that people do that. I'm just reporting what I found. I think that was so interesting that those were one and two of the top, the most common answers. I mean, there were other really great ways to resolve it. Um, But, but you hit on that number one is, is knowing in your heart that this is the path for you. Yeah. I, and isn't that interesting? I think that just those two findings tell you how deeply entrenched this belief is within I'm a Mormon woman. I'm going to speak to that because that's what I know mm-hmm. in this culture. Deeply, yeah. deeply entrenched. Maybe even giving yourself permission to realize how strongly that is felt will help women, right? Like to realize mm-hmm. that this is honestly, I don't know a woman, and I know a lot of highly successful Mormon women that does not struggle with this thing. Right. I don't know one. Right. I don't either. And, and I want to speak to something you said. It's entrenched in the culture. It's also entrenched in the teachings, which creates, you know, impacts the culture. And that's why I think it's so hard because it's like you identify with this, but then you're also being taught by leaders and people that you respect where your place is. And so it's really, it's really a tricky thing. It I, is. I remember, I remember, and I don't remember if I wrote about this or not, but my freshman year at BYU was when the current prophet gave a talk on called to the mothers in Zion about not working, being home. I mean, it was, it was really, really direct to women. And I'm this aspiring singer songwriter um, studying psychology. I'm wanting to be a songwriter and a mom and a wife and a therapist. And, and then it's like this dagger to my heart. Like, well, wait a second. I'm, I'm supposed to be home. I'm supposed, I'm not supposed to want this stuff. And that's when that I realized, you know what? No one else, not, not the prophet, not the bishop, not my, you know, future husband, not my children. No one is going to answer for my life and my gifts and talents. Only I can. And so I feel like this is what my heavenly parents want me to do. So I'm going to kind of go with that. And I get that kids need parents to be involved in their lives. And that's what I'm going to take from that talk. And I'm going to move forward. And I just honor that 18, 19 year old woman who made that choice, that really hard choice to go. I'm kind of going to go with what my, what my heart is telling me and what I feel like God is telling me because what, you know, it's up to me eventually. It's just ultimately up to me. You, you wrote in the article, my life is my story. I am responsible for my life. Mm, yeah. You wrote those words. And at the end of the day, we are 100% responsible for the lives that we live. No one else. Mm-hmm. We're, right. That's it, right? Like we, we get to choose. Yeah. We get to choose our attitudes. We get to choose our actions. We get to re- choose how we respond to the circumstances that come about. And that's either super empowering or terrifying. And we also get to choose, right? <laughs> it's both. <laughs> both. 
<laughs> but at the end of the day, for me, I pick empowering because if I, if this is this earthly existence that I get, then I am going the marrow out of life. If this is what I get, then I'm I'm doing it. I'm doing it all. I'm not going to. Wayne Dyer said, I don't want to die with my music inside of me. Right. Mm. Yeah. I just feel so passionately that women have so much. Every human has so much to give. But when I think about the underutilized talent and ability of the women in this valley that I live in alone, right? Yeah. Um, I just want, I want it to, to be seen. I want it to be expressed because of what expressing it has done for my life. And I guess as my own, you know, belief is that if I look at my life 15 years ago and I look at my life today, I think, man, I like who I am. I like that I did this even through the criticism and the shame, but it has expanded me and grown me. And I like who I am because I am living true to me and to those talents and abilities that I've been given. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You're such an inspiration. I'm just, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that you followed your path because I've benefited from watching you. I've benefited from your curating awesome clothes and glasses. And like (laughs) a lot of what I wear is sense of style. So, and I, I've also seen how passionate you are about helping other women. And that just speaks to my heart too. I, I love that. Oh, Courtney, if we, I love that. I, and I, I feel the same about you, but if we can spend our days validating women in their experience and their desires and owning their life, right? Like mm-hmm. this idea that I own where I come from. I, you know, I own being that 20-year-old Mormon girl, right, that felt so confused, that felt so, this dichotomy within me, right, being pushed and pulled. I honor that because it's made me who I am today. I cannot separate it, right? It's why I have the company that I do, and it's how I get to speak as to who I am. All of those experiences lead me to being that, and so I'm also grateful for that aspirational shame. I am. Mm. I'm grateful for it because it's made me me. Yeah. Right? That struggle. mm -hmm. And you and I have a unique understanding because we've gone through it and because maybe not on the other side of it, but have a lot more perspective around it, you know, 20 years later, so that we can say to other women, it's all right. I promise it's all right. Those desires in you are so valid. Not only are they valid, they're exciting, right? So often we focus our conversations on what's going wrong or what we don't want. And I wish we would start saying like, what's lighting you up inside right now? Yeah. What's, what's bringing passion into your life? And that, that's the thing you follow. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I, I remember as a a younger mom looking at one of my neighbors and just being like, 
going to soccer games totally lights her up. Like, and I'm like, something is wrong with me because I, I, it doesn't light me up. Like I go because I want to support my kids and I love them, but I like, this doesn't light me up. (laughs) And that was a, a source of shame for me. And, and then I realized, you know what, that's, it's okay. Every people are going to have different things that light them up. My kids light me up, but going to soccer games to watch them does not like, or lacrosse. I mean, I, I go because I love them, not because I love going to watch little kids kick a ball or throw a ball, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's so, um, the perspective is so valuable. Like you're just saying that perspective of now, I mean, you're 40, right? And I've got it over a decade on you. So the perspective is so valuable. And, and that's why I try to be open about my experience with other women that it's like, it's okay if, if a lot of motherhood doesn't light you up, you can still do a good job and do other things that do light you up. And, and again, I want to say if motherhood and creating a home is your thing, like that is so valid and valued. And I think we don't need to say it's more valuable than running a business or running a business is more valuable. No, it's all the same. It's all on the same level. I agree. Like we need everyone. We need volunteers at school. We need, we need business owners. We need therapists. We need creative people. We, we need everybody. We need caretakers. And so every, everything that women, all the work that we're doing as women is equally valuable. So let's stop comparing and saying one is more valuable than the other. Absolutely. Someone had just had a comment around that. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I'm not sitting here and, and advocating that how I've exactly done it is right for anyone else. I'm saying it was right for me. And yeah. so if you feel like being a stay at home mom is where you need to be, by all means, please do it and do it well. Like, like show us all the joy that that brings you. And you're absolutely right. This idea, that's why I say it's a false dichotomy of choosing either or because then it becomes comparative. And Mm -hmm. I have zero desire to have comparison and competition among women. That does nothing for any of us. And I also want to speak to this because it's something I'm very passionate about is the cyclic nature of life and Mm -hmm. and and the seasons, right? The earth has seasons, our lives have seasons, and there are times and seasons in which, you know, there, it might be more home-focused and child-focused, and then there might be seasons that are more career-focused, you know, or, or more volunteer-focused. That's okay, too. Mm-hmm. It's okay, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it doesn't have to look like anyone else's. And I know that stay-at-home moms feel shame too or feel embarrassment or feel sometimes less than. And so that is a totally valid thing. That's just not the focus of what we're talking about. We're talking about aspirational shame, which is shame about having desires outside of home and family. So we could do another one about stay-at-home moms. Absolutely. Stay-at-home parents shame, right? Because everybody has, you know, when you get into that comparison, somebody feels less than. So I love what you're saying, Courtney. We need to get rid of the comparison and celebrate everyone's unique uh, life and unique constellation of gifts and talents and collaborate and cooperate and connect with each other. And instead of that competition, no one benefits from that. 
I agree. We often compare because we feel insecure in where we are, right? Mm-hmm. And we justify our own choices based on comparison. And, right. you know, that's, let's just have the awareness that that's what's going on. But that self-inquiry of asking yourself, of going, you know, going within, getting straight and saying, you know, am I, am I aligned with my values and beliefs? And am I moving in the direction that is lighting me up? In life, And I'm not saying that every minute of every day, you have to be doing something that's lighting you up. But I sure hope that you're choosing something every day that's lighting you up, mm-hmm. that is exciting yeah. you and sparking yeah. that light. Yeah. yeah, wonderful. So what are some other things, uh, if there are any other things that have helped you decrease or manage your aspirational shame? So we talked about, you know, not comparing. We've talked about living your values, feeling a confirmation that you're doing what you need to do. What, what are some other ideas? Um, honestly, being around like-minded women. Yeah, that's, that showed up in my research too. Mentors, supportive uh, family members. Yeah, I uh, feel the same. Like, I love, I just love talking with you because I'm like, oh, yay. <laughs> We yeah, the there's, it's, there's validation in that. Yeah. Yeah. When we surround ourselves with people of, you know, like-minded women or men or people with similar values, it's, there's validation in it. There's um, support, there's understanding, you know, and I think all of that is, is so helpful. Like, plus I like being inspired. I like to feel uplifted. And when I, I'm around women who are aspiring to do more and be better. I want to do more and be better too, right? In whatever realm of life. If I am, honestly, I, um, most of my uh, female family members are stay at home moms. And when I'm with them and they talk about what they're doing and how they're doing it, I I'm inspired by that. And it makes me want to do better in, in my own home. Right. And, and then when I'm around my, my business friends and mentors, I'm like, yes, like I can keep doing this. I can, I feel better. So yeah, I think that's another huge one is support systems and friendships. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had mentors who have helped you, who kind of helped you along the path or have you kind of, do you feel like you've kind of I, I don't, done it I, on your own? I don't think any of us do it on our own ever ever. I think there's always people that show up. I don't, I've never had like a, this is my, like a traditional mentorship sort of scenario, but there are women that I always have looked to, right. That have been my, and you are one of them, you know, Heidi, I I mean, I'll drop some names. Heidi Swap is one of them. Someone that I always look to is someone that I admired. Right. Um, And then women professionally here in Utah, like a, Katie Holland or Mary Crafts that have, that are, you know, a generation ahead of me that have paved these paths for so many. So there, I've never had a traditional mentorship, but there, I absolutely have had so many women that I've looked up to that I have um, watched how they have walked their path and tried to emulate that, uh, that similar essence and being. Mm, Lovely, lovely. And you're doing that for the next generation of women. You know, you, you're doing that and that's just so lovely and beautiful. 
Um, one of my favorite, I believe it's Melody Beattie, but I, one of my favorite quotes is, um, be brave with your life so that others can be brave with theirs or feel permission to be mm. theirs. And it's mm. like, I don't know about you, but I think about my children and I want one of my core values is authenticity. And I want them to live authentic lives that are true to them. And one of the reasons I'm say these things out loud because I'm so passionate is I really genuinely believe is that the more people that are saying I'm living true to me, I'm this is authentically me. It allows others to be authentically them. Mm -hmm. There's a permission in it. There's a, well, if she can do it, so can I. Right. Yeah. And it brings more light into the world. Yes. It just brings light. Like you light up when you're talking about these, you know, your passions and your family and your business and helping women. And it just brings more light into the world. And we need it. We need it. Women, we need it. We need you. We do. There is so much heavy and we focus on so much heavy, you know, and when we compare our lives with other women, that's just, that feels heavy. But instead when we're like, ah, this is, this feels good. This makes me feel good. That's like, honestly, if I, this is the world according to Courtney, but the revolution I'm looking for is everyone owning their wholeness, owning their light, Mm -hmm. their shadow, their experiences of beauty and pain. Because once yeah. we do that, we own our lives and we own our decisions and we, we move from a place of wholeness and light and healing. And that's the revolution I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Amen. Are you, are you willing to take some questions and have oh, sure. some of our viewers? Yeah, let's questions? do it. There's, so uh, here is a question. What advice do you have for moms with kids with special needs, but want to find her dreams. Oh, thank you. For those that don't know, I have, um, children with, spe- my oldest has special needs and, um, mental health and Dr. Hanks and I did a podcast. It's been over a year ago, but that I'd encourage you to listen to because she really kicked my butt and made me look at things differently. So <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> in the best way I needed it. In the best way, but um, ooh. So this is where that support piece comes in. Mm-hmm. That if you have child with special needs, if you are not, if you are taking it all on, which most are, you need help and you need support. And if you're looking to also then have something that fills you up, that lights you up, that um, gives you personal purpose and passion and creative expression, number one, do it. You will be a better mom. You will have more stamina, more um, willingness to get back in, back in the arena of parenting a child with special needs. And you can't do it without help. And I know that's a privileged place for me to say from a standpoint of um, perhaps like hiring help. But like Dr. Hank said, there's lots of versions of help, lots and lots. And a lot of them, um, you know, you can trade childcare. You can, you know, you can use your talents and skills in trade for that extra help. There's lots mm-hmm. of versions of that. But that would be my suggestion is number one, do it. Mm-hmm. And I built sense of style and what I call the crumbs of time. 
the Netflix hours, the nine to midnights, you know, where a lot of women build their businesses, right? Because they go and be mom all day and then go hang out and go and do business at night. If, if that is how you have to do it and you do, you know, you choose a two hour block a day, do it like that. Yeah. A little bit over time is what I, so my, I've had my, uh, Wasatch Family Therapy practice for 20 years. And it was just a little bit over time. It started with me. And then when I got too busy, I hired somebody and then hired another and hired another. And now we have over 30 therapists and three locations. It's just chipping away a little bit at a time. And I, I was a mom, you know, while doing that. And, and so, yeah, I just, I always say time's going to go by anyway. Where do you want to be in 20 years? Like start Start chipping away at it and take one step toward what you want to do. Here is uh, another question. What advice do you have for someone starting out in a business, trying to get past the aspirational shame for the first time? Do you have any thoughts on that, Courtney? Well, you're not alone, right? Like, you're not alone. And um, have you read any of Byron Katie's work? I love Byron Katie. I love yeah. there. Yeah, I could give you all of the, like her quotes, right? One of Byron Katie's things is ask yourself if the thought you're having is true. Is it true? Is it true that you're a terrible mother if you want to start a business? Is it true that, you know, that whatever? Is it true? And the answer at the end of the day is it's not true. It's just a belief that's instilled in here. And we can change those beliefs as soon as we recognize that they're not serving us. Right. Yeah. So love it. Love it. And I, I often ask myself, and this was a turning point in this situation where I asked myself this question, what would a man do in this situation? How would a man feel? So there was a time where I was, my practice was growing. I just had my third child. My music career was going, I was traveling. I, I felt like a complete failure because there was so much going on. I couldn't keep it all together. And I thought, what would a man do? He would hire assistants. He'd say, I'm a rock star. Everything's growing. My family's growing. My business is growing. My creative. He'd feel so good about himself and he'd hire assistants. So I hired an office manager to manage the practice because I was managing it myself. I hired a home assistant and again, it's privileged because I was bringing in income and, you know, with our family income, we could afford that. Um, And that changed my perspective because I'm like, a man would feel awesome about himself. Why am I beating myself up? How can I enlist support? And, and so that I, I encourage you to ask, you know, the person who asked the question, ask yourself, what would a man do? Would they feel bad about having aspirations? No, they'd be like, I, I'm awesome. I deserve to have this business idea come to, come to reality, you know? That's because right. they don't have the same sex socialization that women do and the same expectations. So, Courtney, were you going to say something else? Add to that? I was going to ask you if aspirational shame still comes up for you, Dr. Hanks. Mm, um, I, I don't want to say no because... It's such a process, but if it does, it's very rare. And age has helped a lot. And also studying aspirational shame 
helped me realize, oh my goodness, this is a lot of people going through this. But the older I get, it's like, I just, I just don't care what other people think as much. And that was a huge part of what caused aspirational shame was relationships and people saying things like people you love saying things that are shameful. So aspirational shame is a relational experience. And very few people say things to me now that trigger shame. And if they do say things that trigger that like are shaming, it doesn't trigger shame for me most of the time because I feel totally fine with my choices and my life. And I like who I am. And I, I like the contributions I'm making and I like my family. And I just, I'm like, okay, you don't have to like what I do or you don't have to like me or what I say. That's fine. Like I'm, I'm good. And so I think going back to what you said, living your values, Mm -hmm. it's like, if you know you're living your values, there's just not a lot of room for shame. And I'm just really too busy to like doing all the things that I love and having fun with my relationships that like, I just don't have room for shame anymore. I love that. I don't have time for that. (laughs) I love that so much. You filled your life with so much joy and light and you're living it how you choose that it's very hard for the the shame to come in there. Now, for me, it's interesting because it's less, I don't have so much aspirational shame anymore as I do Mm. mom mom guilt and mom shame. Mom guilt. Okay. Which I think are different. Yeah, yeah. Because guilt is... I'm not doing a good enough job. Shame is I am bad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about the mom guilt? I mean, if you want, (laughs) (laughs) because I think a lot of people watching can relate to that. Absolutely. um, What's the biggest source of the mom guilt? uh, I'm very open and honest. We have a unique family dynamic. We have two adoptive children of and we're a transracially adoptive family. We have mental health. We have LGBTQ. We have race all in our home. So there is a lot going on all of the time, right? And I, I never would ever make the assumption that parenting in any respect is easy. We have additional challenges in my home that make it particularly difficult, right? And my guilt comes up around, you know, am I doing enough? Would it be easier if I was home more, right? Mm. If I was, um, yeah. So, and this is vulnerable for me to say out loud because this brings up all of those societal and cultured, um, because I've straight up been told that my children's behaviors are somewhat because of, of me and my life choices. Um, uh, which I do not believe and still have healing work to do around. <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah. so that's where it comes up. That's where, and that's where these two conversations meet for me. Mm-hmm. And Kelly says, you are not alone, Courtney. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to just yeah. make sure you, you echoed that. Yeah, that, that is tough when people are saying shaming things or guilt things. I, I don't have kids with special needs and I still have felt like, 
the challenges that we've had, people are judging, well, if, if you were home more, it wouldn't happen. But then you look around at all the stay-at-home parents who have kids with, who are struggling with many different things. So I just think, you know, that's, if only it were that ignorant easy. comments, right? right? Like, oh, it would guarantee that my children would ever struggle. Well, what would be the point of life then? Because, you know, we kind of are here to grow. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. Right. I'm so, so sorry people say that I, to you. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, I've done a lot of work around it. I'm in a much healthier, better place than I once was. And I think this is important for everyone to hear. And it still comes up right? It's still yeah. once in a while yeah. comes up. It's the process kind mm-hmm. of up and down. <laughs> yeah. It's not something that you, well, our, the issues we wrestle with tend to be the issues we wrestle with throughout life. And we just get better at kind of moving through it more quickly. And, and but we circle around the same kinds of things. At least I do. <laughs> the place I'm coming to lately. And um, again, I'm an active participant in my own growth. I believe mindset work and healing work are those catalysts for us to continue to grow, um, where we recognize within ourselves what's limiting us. And so often it's what's limiting us here. And I'm feeling encouraged to say this, and I do not say this to get um, sympathy. I say this because I'm going to make a point with it, but because I never had that huge desire to stay at home with my children. To me, that equated that I wasn't necessarily a super great mom. And also my Mm. children have struggled a lot, which also kind of made me feel like as an achiever, proof is that they struggle there for me. And I realize this is a lot of false beliefs, but where I've gotten to at this, and this is very new, maybe just this year, is like, Mm. I'm doing, like, how insulting to make me cry how insulting for my children for their mother to think like they're not a good mom right mm-hmm. that's, an, that's like they don't believe that only right. I believe that and that's right. like insulting to their goodness and love and intelligence and light for me to be so down on myself yeah, yeah. right yeah yeah, and you're modeling for them, this, at least I think this, we're modeling how to be a grown-up. And you don't want your kids to grow up and beat themselves up, right? I don't want my kids to grow up and beat themselves up. So right. how, how can we model something different than that shame and guilt? I think of my own mother who stayed home with six children and never missed a soccer game, never missed a school play. The laundry was always done. Like the epitome of good womanhood. And if I'm being really honest, I think she probably was incredibly hard on herself and never felt like she ever measured up either. So I guess the point in saying all of this is that too is learned and modeled. And it's, it's like, that's a false belief, right? Like, I've lived a very different, taken a very different path in life than my own mother. And yet here we are in a very similar place, feeling like we were not good enough for the path we chose. Right. Yeah. 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 And that's where I believe you realize it's a false, it's completely a false belief and just some 
just something up here that's holding, holding me back, right. quite yeah. frankly, from joy <laughs> and from enjoying right. motherhood. Yeah. Yeah. And who decides what's enough, what's good enough and what's a good mom and who decides that anyway? Like we get to decide that we get to decide. And I check it out with my kids. Like, how am I doing? Mm-hmm. What can I do to support you in a, what, what are you needing from me right now? Check it out. If you think you're, and usually they're like, no, it's good. I'm good. Okay, cool. I love that. Right. Like go to the source. Yeah. Like if it, They'll tell you like, yeah, you're, you're not cutting it right now. <laughs> so yeah, I love Courtney, that. I appreciate you taking the time today to talk about healing aspirational shame. And thank you for sharing your wisdom and your passion with, with all of us today. It's just really inspiring. So I just appreciate you and, and appreciate you taking the time today. Well, I, I appreciate you. It's an honor to be asked. Um, Thank you for the work you do on behalf of all of us that benefit from it. And there's so many. So thank you, Dr. Hanks. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks everybody for watching. Thank you for listening to Ask Dr. Julie Hanks, a podcast helping real women seek solutions to life's biggest challenges. If you'd like to learn more, you can connect with me on social media at Dr. Julie Hanks and at drjuliehanks.com where you'll find information about virtual groups, coaching, and online courses. For therapy services in Utah, visit wasatchfamilytherapy.com. thought, hey, I want to talk to Dr. Julie Hanks about this question. Well, now's your chance. I want to have you on my podcast. So email hello at drjuliehanks.com with your question and the reason why you want to be on the podcast. And we may just choose you for a free coaching session.